<laughs> aside from the titles. The Baker Encyclopedia of Christian Apologetics. When Skeptics Ask. The Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties. Uh, today we're going to be talking about, and, and if I brought out all my books on this, what we call apologetics, which means the defense of the faith, uh, basically I'd need a, a hand truck, you know. Uh, there, there's a lot in that subject. Today we're talking about the subject of answering the atheist. What do we do uh, with, with the arguments that atheists make? And, and so we're going to look at some arguments, but there's no way we're going to cover everything. You know, you, you, you buy a big book and it's inadequate. Uh, and... Uh, so there's no way we're going to do that. We won't do more than scratch the surface, but we will also consider the heart motivation behind atheism because the Bible tells us what it is. Uh, we'll look briefly at arguments based on reason that, that they use against Scripture or against Christianity, arguments based on emotion against Scripture, Christianity, or God himself. We'll look at what the Bible says about the motivation of atheism and finally how to answer Atheists. Okay, so the first thing is is we're going to look at arguments against God from reason because we know if if you've ever spoken to an atheist, atheists consider themselves to be reasonable, and people who believe in any god to be unreasonable. They see themselves as as the one who is being honest and intellectual, and everybody else is is. Is, is not, not accepting the facts that are out there. Most atheists, by the way, just to start out with, are not honest atheists. And by honest atheists, I mean most people who... who there's a huge pr- proportion of humanity out there that will not say they don't believe in God with their mouth, but they declare it by their actions all the time. They functionally live as if God does not exist. They will not say he doesn't exist because that's a line they don't want to cross, but they live as if he doesn't exist. Well, if actions speak louder than words, then they're atheists. Okay, uh, and, and, and that uh, what we find then is, is uh, people sometimes... I've, 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 people have objected to my use of the phrase honest atheist because uh, and, and the reality is atheists, what we're going to see is, is atheism is not reasonable. Uh, therefore, you can't honestly, based on reason, be an atheist. But they are honest in admitting what they are, and, and I appreciate that. Uh, it actually is, is, uh, makes it easier to deal with an honest atheist than with the one who isn't. But those who admit they are atheists are rare relative to those who, who don't but, but live that way. From their vantage, they are logic-driven, they are reason-driven, where the person who believes in God is driven by wishful thinking and emotion, by by what he wishes was true. They think they are the honest thinkers, free from restriction of what they want to believe. Uh, They are able to believe what is true, but we who believe in God are unwilling or unable to accept the truth. We need the crutch, we need something to support us and hold us up, so we need God. And many of these people who, who... believe this way and think this way, are very good at attacking Christianity, very good at attacking the, the elements of God. And, and, and so we're going to look at a couple of, like I say, types. First is, is based on reason. Uh, based on what they believe is clear, obvious logic, they will attack the Bible. It's just another book, just another holy book, but there's lots of holy books out there. The Bible is one of these. It's that genre uh, that, that is, is written to support, support things that, that are insupportable except by faith, and they separate faith from reason. 
Uh, They believe it is mythological and fanciful. Uh, It simply says that God did it. It does not agree with accepted science. Uh, And, and you know, right off the bat, there's all sorts of arguments that could be popping into your mind, like accepted by who, what scientists? Because, you know, they will say accepted by science or accepted by mainstream scientists or accepted by most scientists or, or, you know, and basically what they're saying is the scientists who don't agree with those, we don't count. (laughs) And and you see that, that all of a sudden the logic and the reason of what they're saying falls apart. But they will, excuse me, must be the smoke in the air. (laughs) They will attack creation order. And I love, when I teach creation, I love to jump on the very thing that they love to attack. I love to, I love to bring out and bring it, put in your face the thing that they say is most unlikely. For instance, if you look at the creation order on day one, God said, let there be light. And there was light. What day did God make the sun, the moon, and the stars? Day four. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Day four, he made the sun, the moon, and stars. So, so it's like, okay, come on, these people are so dumb, they don't even understand you need sun, moon, and stars to have light. But, but I look at that and I go, that is so awesome. Because it wraps the book around so that the book comp- complements itself. In Genesis, we find light before sun, moon, and the stars. And in Revelation, we find light after sun, moon, and stars. When you go to Revelation, when I say you know, Genesis 1 1, the beginning of, of Revelation, let's go, or Genesis, let's go to the end of Revelation. Uh, Revela- you know, the, problem, you know, the problem with finding the beginning and the end of the book is they aren't at the beginning and the end. It, you know, it's easier to find Psalms than Genesis. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 24. And then I'll read another verse out of Genesis, Revelation 22, which is the last chapter. And I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord and the Almighty, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its light is the lamp. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And it goes on and talks some more. And then Revelation 22, uh, verse 5. And night will will be no more. They will need no light of lamp and sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And what we find is, 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 is it's completing. Genesis is the book of creation. Revelation is the book of restoration. And what we find is it's lost in the middle so that we need a sun and a moon and stars, and we need lights. We need these things. We need flashlights. We need, you know, cell phones that light up. <laughs> Something to show our way. We won't need them. We, they didn't need them at first. It was lost. We need it again. Uh, it, it, is, it is being restored to the way it ought to be, and they will jump on it and say, this is not scientific. Light needs a source. We're saying, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't need that source. It doesn't need a manufactured source. It has a supernatural source. But, but you see what I'm saying is, is to the, 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 the atheist, the true atheist is a materialist. Uh, which doesn't mean he values matter in the sense like he needs more stuff. Usually when we associate materialism with greed, uh, when I say he's a materialist, that's not what I'm saying. He may be greedy, he may not, but he is basing everything he believes on material, on matter, and everything depends on that because he does not believe there is a supernatural, therefore he does not allow for supernatural and will not allow supernatural answers, which is really a problem because creation cannot be explained without going beyond on nature. Nature cannot explain nature, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to come back to that. Uh, so they believe these are problems. The creation order is, is, is a problem to them, but I find it to be 
awesome. Uh, they believe, to the atheists, the Bible is simply mythological. They didn't understand science, therefore they came up with these mythological reasons to explain it. That's what he believes. They believe the Bible is full of errors and contradictions. Well, yeah, there's a lot of difficulties, you know. That's why I brought these out. When skeptics ask, the Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties, uh, Baker's Encyclopedia of Christian Apologetics, because there are difficulties in the Bible. Uh, there, that, you know, if you look for the difficulties, you will find them. The question is, if you are stopped because it's difficult, then you're stopped and you say, well, that's a difficult, it's a contradiction, therefore it can't be solved. But what do you do when life gets difficult? When, when, when they're describing uh, Kathleen's trip, and they talked about, uh, and, and when I read about, because uh, I was getting, got the news from, you know, before today, but, um, and, and they're running into a lot of opposition, I always get excited when someone runs into opposition on mission trip because the greater the op- opposition, the greater the results. Always, <laughs> always. It's like when kids come to camp and there's a problem kid. I get excited by the problem kids because there's always fruit. Always, maybe not always with them. We've seen some problem kids come and leave still being problems. But uh, uh, so often we see great results. Well, when you run into difficulties with Scripture and you stop, then you've been stopped and you haven't grown. But if you don't stop and you keep pushing, you can solve the dilemma. You can find the answer. There are difficulties. You can always find an answer if you're willing to recognize the answer that Scripture has. And I think we grow by embracing the difficulties. I think we do not grow when we say, this looks tough, I'm afraid to handle it. Okay? And we say, I won't handle it because I'm afraid of it, therefore I won't go there. So... uh, Yeah, it has difficulties. If you simply look for difficulties, you can stop and point to the problem and say the Bible's full of these things. Uh, But it's like someone who reads a mystery. I mean, you ever read a good mystery and and you're three quarters through and you're going, man, I can't figure out who done it. But we know this, somebody done it. (laughs) Just because we haven't, uh, if the mystery's any good, you can't figure it out. And if by page four you go, it was the butler, duh, you know, then then, uh, it's not a good mystery. Well, the Bible is, just because it's got difficulties doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means you might have to dig for the answer. You might have to work at it. Uh, You don't put it down because the the solution is difficult. You appreciate it more because the the solution is difficult. But that is another attack on the Bible. Uh, so, So those are, those are reason-based attacks on the Bible. Uh, there are other ba- attacks in the Bible that are somewhat reason-based. They tie into to, uh, to morality. For instance, they will say they, they believe the Bible justifies what we today describe as social evil. Okay, Social evil. The Bible justifies slavery. The Bible justifies genesis, genocide. The Bible justifies racism. The do- Bible justifies mistreatment of women. No, no, it doesn't do any of those things. Uh, we find those things in the Bible. We do not find anything telling us to do them. You know, there's a simple uh, formula, if you want to find it in Scripture, the difference between descriptive and prescriptive. Descriptive is describing what happened. Prescriptive is telling us we should go and do likewise. If you look in the book of Acts, it tells us that the, the early church, they went out and sold their possessions and shared. There's no prescriptive there. It doesn't say, therefore, thou shalt go do likewise. And we all go, <laughs> because we like our stuff. Which doesn't mean it's, it's evil to sell your stuff. It doesn't mean it's evil not to sell your stuff. It's just telling us it's what they did. It's descriptive. Okay, The Bible is written for, for people to interact in a world where evil happens. right? And it acknowledges that, and it gives us a formula or, or, or guidelines to function within that. Uh, what, it, what this shows us is the ability of people to misuse the Bible. 
the ability of people to take the Bible and use it to justify the things they all want to do. I could go to lots of examples, but the most fun one is my own. <laughs> There's a verse in, in Exodus that says, Exodus 21.15 says, Whoever strikes his mother, his father or his mother shall be put to death. Now, Josh and I used to play this game called, didn't have a name, it was the hitting game. We would jump out and hit each other from surprise, right? Never, never like punch in the face, but punch in the shoulder. Bam. I was at camp once, sitting on the deck, and Josh was walking by, and I jumped up, and I whammed him so hard on the shoulder, I just about knocked him off. I would have considered that such a victory. <laughs> and, and Linda Nelson was sitting there, and she goes, Ugh! and Josh turns around, and he goes, I'm going to get you back for that. <laughs> and what do I answer? I said, strike your father, you shall die. <laughs> I, I, I said that so many times. Strike your father, you shall die. I thought that's what the verse has said. It says, it doesn't say that. It says, it says uh, he who strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. I quoted so, so many times, strike your father, he shall die, that I couldn't find it when I was looking for it because I was looking for the words I misquoted. But <laughs> point being, a bad person can use scripture to justify bad actions, <laughs> like striking your child just because it's fun. Okay, uh, but, but believe me, Josh got in his fair share. So this is, if there was child abuse, there was parent abuse too. But anyway, we, we had fun with it. But, but the point, point is, people twisting the Bible to support doing wrong does not make the Bible bad, right? Anybody here favor the Second Amendment? <laughs> Any, I, that is the right amendment, right? The right to bear arms, right? Okay, anybody here going to react strongly if I say guns are evil? No. <laughs> I was ready to get beat up when I said that. <laughs> okay, what we, the, the gun is not evil, but bad people can use a gun to do bad things. Duh, right? Well, the Bible is not evil, but guess what bad people can do with the Bible? Bad things. That's, that's all that means when people do these things. Okay, but they are examples of reason being used to attack the Bible. Uh, another attack is the simple attack on the supernatural altogether. And as soon as I start defending the supernatural, I feel like I've just stepped off a ledge that I don't want to go. Because when I hear the word supernatural, I picture Casper, you know, the friendly ghost, or goosebumps, or, you know, stories of things that go bump in the night, and, 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 and you know, horror stories, and the claw, you know, and, and and, and when I hear supernatural, that's what I think. But the, but the supernatural, not creepy, ooey supernatural, but the supernatural must be real or the scripture or the Bible is wrong. There, there's no doubt with that. Uh, but, but it's why belief in God works. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, using the word supernatural sounds wrong. But the fact is God is supernatural, which means he is beyond nature. He is not limited by nature. He can do things that you can't do naturally. What is the definition of a miracle? A supernatural act of God. But if you don't believe the supernatural is possible, then a miracle is impossible because it defies the laws of nature. And if you read much of what atheists say, and I don't read a whole lot, I dabble every now and then, they, they routinely attack uh, the Bible because it is not limited by science. And we go, duh, that's right. It, it's not limited by science. But this is where atheism gets in trouble. Belief in God works better. By the laws of nature, uh, the laws of nature are learned by studying nature. That's what science is, the study of nature, right? The study of what is, the study of how things work, understanding how you work. And then you take the knowledge you gain, you apply it, and you are able to come up with, you know, the latest uh, way to kill bees or, you know, not bees, wasps, and hornets. <laughs> because we don't kill bees. Uh, that would be immoral. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. <laughs> uh, 
but but uh, by studying nature, we learn how it works and we learn how to manipulate it. That's, that's what science is. But the laws of nature cannot explain the existence of nature. In fact, the, the laws of nature cannot explain the existence of the laws of nature or why they are what they are. You know, the, the study of physics is learning what things are and how things work, but it does not explain why they work that way except, for the, except based on principles that simply are. But it can't say this, why this law is here, why gravity is what it is, right? Why, why these things are what they are. Uh, and, and so the, nature can't do that. The, the laws of nature cannot explain its own existence. It takes something outside of nature to create nature. Nature, uh, or I should say materialism, materialism requires, you know, the, and not just a Big Bang, but a Big Bang t- t- before that Big Bang because something had to form the little speck of bang. And so you go, well, what happened before that? Well, they can go down to this, you know, billionth of a second of what happened, but they can never get to the point before because in order to get there, you either have to go to a previous Big Bang, which just repeats the problem, or you find God because something outside of nature, something not limited by the laws of nature is required because nature cannot explain nature. And so we start finding, uh, Atheism actually is not as reasonable as it tries to present itself to be. Uh, it, it is an attempt, but it doesn't work. So, so, that, so that is the attack. They attack miracles, prophecy, inspiration, because they're not scientifically possible. And if you accept their premise that the, science, that the supernatural is not possible, then their argument works. But if you read the definition of miracle and you recognize what that is, you say it doesn't have to obey law law of nature. In fact, it shouldn't obey the law of nature. And I'm not going to say that God doesn't work through nature. Of course he does. Uh, Sometimes the the timing of of the thing is the miracle. Uh, but, But it's still God working outside the laws of nature. So those are the reasonable arguments against uh, a God, uh, or, or examples of the type of, of reasonable arguments. And there's arguments against God for morality, because atheism views itself as moral. And, and you go, I'm not sure that makes sense to me. It does. It, it's a shifting morality. Uh, it is a morality based on, on uh, what people as a whole or what that person as a whole views as right as wrong. It doesn't have an ultimate basis like Christianity does. We have an ultimate basis of Christianity as God. And, and, and th- things are right and are correct. But, but even though it has a shifting morality, that morality views itself as right. Save the whales, save the planet, uh, meat is murder, right? All of these spring from a viewpoint based on what seems to make sense now. How long ago were we worried about the honeybees? Were we worried about them 10 years ago? You know, what, what, when was it the bees started disappearing in the, you know, hornets and wasps? Not, you know, they seem to be in abundance, but, but uh, they started to get worried that there weren't enough bees to pollinate anymore and, and what's happening to the bees. And so we protect bees, and bees are good stingers, and wasps and hornets are bad stingers. You know, and, 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 and it's a morality based on what we feel, what we see at this time. Uh, and, and the funny thing is, if you talk about save the whales or save the planet or meat is murder, none of those was a moral argument 100 years ago. Right? They simply weren't. They, they were not moral issues 100 years ago, but they are now because what? Because of a shifting morality. A shifting morality based on what people see today. I, for one, I, I, get, I get in trouble when I talk about this. I really don't like hearing that somebody's adopting a pet. 
because I'm sorry, a pet is an animal. You get a pet. You buy a pet. You get a dog. And I know that some of you say, well, you become part of my family. I'm sorry, it does not become your child, right? I have adopted a child. <laughs> she is not a pet. <laughs> and if I said she was, she'd probably be up here right now, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 there you go. <laughs> We have a dog. I love my dog. I do not hurt the dog. It's a good dog, but it's a dog. It's not a person. A, but, but that's you know. But but it, that word, adopting a pet, I believe, is a reflection of the changing morality that we find in our world. Uh, and I'm not saying it's wrong to love a pet and make a, a, a dog or a cat a part of your family. You know, that's what do we do with these things? I mean, you either get the guard dog that you train to be fierce, or you bring in an animal to love. That's that's the whole point of it. So so I'm not against that. I'm just saying let's not learn lose the ability to distinguish between animal and human right that but that's a modern morality uh, more modern morality marijuana is good prescription drugs are bad okay uh, homosexuality is good supporting traditional family is bad and you say well it's not bad to support t- traditional family tell that to chick-fil-a tell that to hobby lobby Right? Uh, these people are attacked because they support traditional family. It just so happens it didn't hurt their business at all. Funny how that worked. Uh, but, but that is where we are today. It is a strange morality, but it still views itself as being moral. God is not seen as moral. Atheism sees God as immoral. Uh, the, the, if God is real, why does he let bad things happen? Bad things happen, therefore there is no God. Job challenged God just this way. He said, he, he, it's not by saying if, because bad things happen, but he was challenging God saying, I know enough that were I to face God face to face, he would have to yield to me. You say, no, Job didn't say that. Well, Job chapter 23, verses 1 through 10. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know that he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge." Behold, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but he's not. But I do not perceive him on the left hand when he is working. I do not behold him. I, he turns to the right, but I don't see him. But he knows the way I take when he has tried me. I shall come out as gold. And that was Job's argument. He says, if God would give me a fair chance to represent myself, he would acknowledge how right I am. Now, I don't know if you've had this conversation, but I've had this conversation with more than one pe- person who was bold enough to say, I am more moral than God, because God sends people to hell, and I would not do that, because God uh, 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 allows bad things to happen, and I would not do that, and I have had people say this to me, many people don't say it that boldly, but they will choose not to believe in God because of suffering that goes on in the world, what seems like injustice, but Job, that is not the end of the story. Because in chapter 42, Job has actually met God. Then Job answered the Lord and said, 
I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Here... And I will speak. I will question you, and you will make known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Same man. God didn't answer one of his arguments. God simply revealed himself to Job. And Job, seeing God revealed, repented, recognizing God is too wonderful for him to comprehend Who is he to be so foolish to question God? It is an arrogant thing to say, if God was real, he would do this, because you're assuming you know enough to know what God ought to do. And the fact is, you don't. But but that is where atheism goes. God's reasons are beyond us, but because the atheist doesn't see him, and very often the Christian falls into this trap, they conclude that God is immoral. Why would a loving God send anyone to hell? Since the Bible says he does, he must not be moral. Apparently, God's job in life is to make me happy. Right? And since I'm not happy that, that often, God is obviously failing at his job. That's the argument the atheist makes against God. Because if there was a God, since I'm not happy, therefore he's a failure, which makes him a pretty poor God. So I choose not to believe in God. And, and somehow they've misconstrued the purpose of life to be God making me happy, which is a really bizarre thing when you put in those words. So those are arguments used against Christianity. Those are arguments used against God. Those are God's arguments used against the Bible. How do you answer, answer atheism? How do you answer atheism? And, and, and obviously, if we look at specifics, I've looked at a few generals here. If we look at specifics, there's way too many out there to try to answer them all. There's just simply too many. But let's understand where atheism comes from. Psalm 14.1, and if you want to have fun with this, put one finger in Psalm 14.1 and one finger in Psalm 53.1. And read along as they both say, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Uh, and it's, I'm only going to turn to Psalm 14. They do differ slightly in various places, but uh, um, the comparison is so obvious that it's... it's uh, Undeniable that this psalm is simply repeated with slight changes. And you go, why would he repeat a psalm? That's a really good question. Why don't you answer it? Why would he repeat a psalm? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generations of the righteous. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has not said in his mind there is no God. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Now, I'm not saying his mind is not involved, but but we recognize where the belief comes from. It does not come from reason. While the atheist tries to present his view as being reasonable, logical, sensible, uh, clearly the one that is right and, and makes both sense, it does not, and that is not where it came from. 
It came from a heart of rebellion. It came from a heart that did not want to accept God. A heart that did not want to place Him on the throne. And to justify that heart, it then found reason. And finding those reasons, it tries to justify what it believes. Uh, the atheist rejects God and then dresses that rejection in, 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 in the clothing of reason. As if that works. He is in rebellion against his own senses. Psalm 19. It's really easy to find when you're on at Psalm 15. Okay. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Right? The voice of creation. uh, Romans. Stick with the R's. Revelation and Romans. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible creation attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been uh, clearly portrayed ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. See, it is... It is Atheism starts with the rejection of God in the heart and is followed by the mind's attempts to justify that atheism. He is rebellious against his own senses. The word fool is, not in, is at first not an insult. It is simply a description of a person acting in folly. Now, I'm not saying it isn't also an insult, <laughs> but, but it is a, a description of someone acting in folly. He has made a foolish choice, right? He may be choosing out of pride. He may be choosing out of hurt. He may be choosing out of simple, sinful will. But it starts with heart-led emotion, and then he uses reason to support it. Now, what difference does this make for us? It should give us confidence. The truth is on our side. You know, when, when when the atheist comes and presents his arguments, do not feel threatened as if, oh no, I have to be able to answer this argument. Now, if you can, fine. If you want to borrow one of my books, make sure you bring it back. (laughs) Right? Uh, Because I lose a lot of books. (laughs) Uh, But but act with confidence against the atheist. Uh, You should have confidence. Don't treat them like fools, but recognize there are people caught in foolishness, caught in folly. 1 Peter 3.15 is the, called the apologetics theme verse. Uh, and, of course, I can't bring it out right now. Um, be ready to answer the person who asks you the reason of the hope that is within you. Let's see. In your heart, honor Christ Christ the Lord as as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The best answer you can give is the reason of the hope that is in you. Uh, So, what is that? Jesus Christ saved me and changed me. He gave me eternal life. I have confidence in this. Uh, 
it's not that you don't have answers to atheism. It's not that you have to have answers to atheism. It's not, you know, what is the hope within you? What is, is, is the hope within you that you know the answer to that argument about the fourth and first day? <laughs> is that what gives you hope? Right? Is the hope within you that you have the answer of why God would send people to hell? Is that what gives you hope? See, the answer of the hope is within you is not the answers to the challenges they give. The, the, the explanation of the hope that is in you is that Jesus Christ has saved you. And the evidence of that is that he has changed you. And chances are you can show that. Sometimes it's been 40 years since he did it. <laughs> and so people think you've always been that way. I'm just saying that because I've been a, a believer for 40 years. Right? Uh, and so people, most people, how many of you are under 40 years old? You don't have to raise your hand. You make me feel old. Okay. Uh, I've been a Christian long... Put your hands down. <laughs> Whole downing families over there laughing. <laughs> I know, except for Wyatt. <laughs> All, the, the only me you've ever seen is this Christian Steve. And you think, I've always been that way. But I know I've changed. <laughs> the evidence is, is my brothers and sisters. But... <laughs> uh, the, the hope within you is not that you have the answers to atheism. The hope that's within you is not your intelligence. Let me show you Paul's example. And I don't want to physically go there and show them because of time. But in, in Acts chapter 22, Paul is addressing a mob who wants to crucify him. Or not crucify him, but, but kill him. And how does he address them? He defends himself to them by sharing his testimony. Four chapters later, he is on trial for his life before the governor and the uh, Herod and his wife. I'm, no, I'm not sure which Herod. I get lost in all the different Herods and his wife. And to defend himself, he shares the test testimony, the story of how he came to Christ and the difference it made in his life. Paul's favorite argument when it came to explaining, uh, to, to defending himself to, to those who would challenge him was sharing his life story. Now, we want to, uh, here's the thing. You will not find an argument that slams the door shut on the atheist and makes him say, oh, by golly, you're right. right? You, you, will not, you will not accomplish that. And if, if you take this argument and answer this argument, he's got you know, a whole bunch more ready to spring out because he's good at this and he loves his arguments. And most of us are not walking around training in how to answer them on those things. But he cannot rebut your testimony. He cannot argue against it. He can argue and say, well, that's not real, or lots of people change, or anything like that he wants. He, 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 I'm not saying if you do this, he will get saved. But I'm saying that is the answer that can lead him to Christ. And answering specific arguments cannot. It can help. It can pave the way. If you, if you, if you are called to do that and you like that kind of thing, knock yourself out. I'll be honest with you, I don't have the patience. Uh, so I, I'll, just, I'll just say, you know what? Uh, I understand you have these arguments. I'm glad you have them. Think about them. But, <laughs> you know, and, and you shared the gospel because uh, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't have the patience to waste on somebody arguing details of, of uh, atheism. In the end, the answer to atheism is faith. That's the answer. The skilled atheist may have answers for many things, but he does not have the answer for your changed life. And that's it. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, I praise you for your goodness, and I thank you for the power of a simple testimony. Lord, I ask that, that uh, you bring atheists our way. 
and that we are able to share Christ with them. Lord, that you will allow us to make a difference in the lives of the people you bring our way. I pray in Jesus' name.